Milwaukee United Church of Christ presents We Are Not the Sower, a reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, July 19th, 2020. As I mentioned last week, when David and I were first married, we lived in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia in a small dairy farming community. And there, much to our surprise, we found ourselves the proud stewards of a rather magnificent vegetable garden that others had done the work to establish. After having received so much help with plowing and rototilling and planting, we were determined to do our part with watering, weeding, harvesting, and sharing the harvest. Watering, check, we got that down. Weeding, gloves on, trowel at the ready, and it didn't take very long before we needed help again. Because really, was that sweet peas or a weed? Was that broccoli or an invasive plant? Something we wanted or something we didn't? That was life before Google. We waited as long as we could and then invited a church member known for his discretion and ability to keep confidences to come over and give us a few more tips. That one's corn, that's a weed. That's cucumber, that's a weed. We went through the whole garden with me planting little tongue depressors with plant names in indelible ink beside the ones we should keep. So I wouldn't forget as soon as he left the garden. By the time we got to the last few plants, green sprouts of watermelon on the little mounds we had built for them, I was starting to feel a little cocky. I reached down to pull up two small plants that were between the mounds and that looked like nothing else in the garden, feeling, truth be told, quite proud of myself. But our friend caught my arm and with a twinkle in his eye said, you're right, those are not watermelon plants, but let's just wait and see. This is the beginning of the message that I wrote on Friday a reflection on another agrarian parable about good and evil in the world. A parable that seems to resonate with our human tendency to characterize things as all good or all evil, and to sort ourselves into groups of us and them. But which uncomfortably points out that in order to identify one group as good and another as evil, we have to ignore the fact that both groups are growing up in the exact same soil, our roots so intertwined that to pull one up would be to pull up the other. New Testament scholar Matt Skinner has pointed out that this parable is quintessentially Matthew. It reflects the community in which it was written, a community that is anxious, not just because it recognizes itself as an embattled minority within a minority in the Roman Empire, but also because it reflects the community's anxiety about how to recognize within their own group who is true and who is false, who is a sibling in Christ 
and who isn't. It's an uncomforting mirror of our own times when both politics and religion are polarized and it can be difficult to figure out who exactly are our kin? With whom do we want to be identified? Who is dangerous? What teachings should we accept? And whose teachings should we avoid? In the parable and throughout Matthew, this deep anxiety gets expressed in hopes of judgment, in imagery of violence or cutting people off. But this parable says, cool it. Yes, there is danger in the world and there is evil, but ultimately that is God's problem to identify and to take care of. If you try to uproot the weeds, the dangerous ones among you, you'll damage the wheat. The Gospel of Matthew is one that recognizes the fragility of faith and even commends those who have only a little bit of faith. Little faith is enough faith in Matthew's scheme of things. But little faith has a fragility about it, and it can be destroyed by those too zealous in trying to purify the community. It is, to be frank, both a satisfying and an unsatisfying parable for the moment we are living in. Right now, during the crisis, not only of COVID-19, but the crisis of the chaotic way it is being handled by our government. Right now, when the virulence and persistence of racism in America is laid bare. Right now, when there are unidentified federal troops making arrests on our own streets here in Portland. When peaceful protests are infiltrated by unaffiliated groups inciting vandalism and destruction. And when no one is calling it destruction of property, when an unhoused person's tent is removed and all their belongings with it. Right now, this text about an anxious community feels too close to home. I, for one, do not want to wait until some far off day to have the safe and the unsafe pulled apart the untrustworthy and the unwholesome, the evil separated out and thrown away. But the parable reminds us that we are not the sower. Our job is not to pluck up, but to grow. To grow in grace, grow in justice, grow in mercy, grow in peace. We are called to remember with the psalmist that God is with us. We are called to allow ourselves to be caught off guard with Jacob. Jacob the scoundrel who had cheated his brother out of his birthright and was on the lamb in the wilderness. Jacob who could easily be identified as one of them is caught wholly by surprise and wakes up declaring, surely God is in this place and I did not know it. About those new plants I could only identify as definitely not watermelon. They grew and they grew and they grew until they were six foot tall sunflowers with bright 
faces wide open to the sky. Neither vegetable nor weed, but surprise gifts that no one expected there. Gifts I was ready to rip out in my dangerously new and overzealous assurance that I could now detect a weed when I saw one. That was the beginning of my reflection on this week's readings. But when I got up Saturday morning, ready to do my usual rewrite and rewrite and revise, I woke up to the news of the death of John Lewis, congressman, activist, and holy hero of American history. I went back to his autobiography, Walking with the Wind, and I was struck by the witness of his life, his long obedience in the direction of justice, fueled by the spirit, filled with stubborn hope, answering no one violence for violence, but with eyes on the prize, staying ever true. And I wanted to share the childhood story that gave the book its title. These are John Lewis's words. About 15 of us children were outside my Aunt Seneva's house, playing in her dirt yard. The sky began clouding over. The wind started picking up. Lightning flashed far off in the distance, and suddenly I wasn't thinking about playing anymore. I was terrified. Aunt Seneva was the only adult around, and as the sky blackened and the wind grew stronger, she herded us all inside. Her house was not the biggest place around, and it seemed even smaller with so many children squeezed inside. Small and surprisingly quiet, all of the shouting and laughter that had been going on earlier outside had stopped. The wind was howling now, and the house was starting to shake. We were scared. Even Aunt Seneva was scared. And then it got worse. Now the house was beginning to sway. The wood plank flooring beneath us began to bend, and then a corner of the room started lifting up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. None of us could. This storm was actually pulling the house toward the sky, with us inside it. That was when Aunt Seneva told us to clasp hands. Line up and hold hands, she said. And we did as we were told. Then she had us walk as a group toward the corner of the room that was rising. From the kitchen to the front of the house we walked, the wind screaming outside, the sheets of rain beating on the tin roof. Then we walked back in the other direction as another end of the house began to lift. And so it went back and forth, 15 children walking with the wind, holding that trembling house down with the weight of our small bodies. More than half a century has passed since that day, and it has struck me more than once over those many years that our society is not unlike the children in that house, rocked again and again by the winds of one storm or another. The walls around us seeming at times as if they might fly apart. It seemed that way in the 1960s at the height of the civil rights movement, when America itself felt as if it might burst at the seams. So much tension, 
so many storms. But the people of conscience never left the house. They never ran away. They stayed. They came together and they did the best they could, clasping hands and moving toward the corner of the house that was the weakest. And then another corner would lift and we would go there. And eventually, inevitably, the storm would settle and the house would still stand. But we knew another storm would come and we would have to do it all over again. And we did, and we still do, all of us, you and I, children holding hands, walking with the wind. Listen, listen.